and thank you for listening to Texas History for Kids. I'm your host, Michelle Gallegos, an educator, writer, history nerd, and novice investigator. Each week on the show, we will learn about interesting parts of Texas history, from battles and historical figures to the odd and enchanted. Hi, guys, and welcome to episode number 13, where I'll be extending my podcast to celebrate Black History Month. Educators, parents, and tutors, if you're searching for new ways to improve your students' listening or reading comprehension skills, well, listen up. My podcast includes links to resources that your students will enjoy. Since each episode is only around 15 minutes or less, they are the perfect activities for those fast finishers, small group intervention, homework practice, reading centers, and I've even used them in my subplans. Visit my website, michellegauthor.com. Imagine you are in the early 1900s and you want to fly a plane. Now, imagine that you had to go to flight school to earn a pilot's license. But the color of your skin made this difficult in the very country that you live in. Lastly, Imagine you are an African-American woman who wanted to become a pilot in the early 1900s and all of these odds were stacked up against you. What would you do? I'll tell you what one woman did who, with all of the odds stacked up against her, managed to still accomplish her goals. Aviator Bessie Coleman once said, You never lived until you have flown. Today, we will talk about Bessie Coleman. Her mother was an African-American and her father was an American Indian and African-American. Bessie was born in Atlanta, Texas in 1893. Though the 14th Amendment, which gave slaves the rights to their freedoms and American rights, had already passed 26 years earlier, discrimination was still an issue in Texas and the entire country for that matter. African Americans faced barriers from voting, mostly because they were required to pass a literacy test. But how do you pass a literacy test when most of them had not even received proper education to learn to read? They were also required to be separate from whites in places such as buses, restaurants, bathrooms, and even schools. And when Bessie was six years old, she attended a school that was four miles from her house. The bus did not pick her up from her house as they do today. Instead, she was forced to walk. Her school was a wooden shack consisting of one room. She didn't have a pencil to write with or even paper to write on. She barely had books to read from school, and those that they had were just usually secondhand and outdated. Her school lacked the basic tools required for a kid to learn, grow, and prosper. Bessie's father moved back to Oklahoma, known as Indian Territory, while Bessie's mother and her siblings stayed in Texas. Bessie's mother made sure that Bessie and her 12 siblings visited the traveling library that came to town three times a year. Bessie really enjoyed reading and read whenever she could. African-American schools would likely have been an overcrowded room with one room, one teacher, and with students ranging from toddlers to eighth graders, or about 14 years old. 
There were limits on what black Americans could do and what they were taught in school. White school leaders did not want black children to be exposed to ideas like equality and freedom. So important documents that related to American history, such as the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, were banned because these documents could give African Americans the idea that they weren't being treated fairly. There wasn't anyone else around Bessie that could tell her that her education should be better. Everyone around her was going through the same poverty-stricken, discriminatory times as she was going through. So who was there to tell her different? In Bessie's mind, she thought she should be treated different. And during her adult years, despite the many challenges, Bessie ended up graduating from high school. She saved her earnings from an ironing job and attended college at Langton University in Oklahoma. But one semester, she couldn't afford it anymore and was forced to drop out. When she became an adult, Bessie realized that she was worth more than what Texas and Oklahoma had shown her. When she turned 23 in 1915, Bessie hoped for a change and moved to Chicago to live with her older brother. But she quickly learned that life in Chicago wasn't much better. It seemed that her dreams of becoming a pilot were going to be more challenging than ever. Sadly, her race and her gender refused her the chance of ever pursuing her dream in the United States. So what was she to do? Well, she attended pilot school. She had heard stories from soldiers arriving from World War I that intrigued her. Her brother also egged her on when he told her that black women would never be able to fly a plane like a French woman that he saw in the war could. Now, Bessie knew what she wanted to do. She was more determined than ever. Very few, if any, African-Americans were pilots, much less African-American women. She learned the only way to make her dreams come true was to fly to France. Now, France did not have the same views on racial discrimination as the United States did. Along her journey, she met African-American billionaire Robert Abbott, who was the editor and publisher of a very successful Chicago Defender newspaper. A newspaper she had become fascinated with in reading. She set to work on her dreams by working as a manicurist, somebody who does nails, to earn money. She needed to earn enough money to attend the pilot school in France. Now, she knew that knowing the language would be important. And she ended up learning French in the Burlet School in Chicago. Can I just stop here for a moment, though? Many people, under her circumstances might have given up on their dreams after the first hurdle, learning to read against all odds. Then the next hurdle, getting out of Oklahoma and Texas and moving to Chicago, and then still dealing with the discriminations in Chicago. I just wonder how she did all of that. Did she travel by car or by bus? What struggles did she encounter along her journey? I'm sure she couldn't just sit in the front of the bus or stop at any restaurant she wanted to dine into. She was, after all, a young black woman traveling alone. Oh, and let's not forget that she had to learn an entirely new language. Coming from a background where her education began in a small wooden shack without pencils or paper, Bessie was now learning French at a well-known school in Chicago. 
Talk about overcoming those obstacles, my friends. What an amazing woman she was to do what she had to do and what she had done this far. But guess what? She still didn't have enough money. Luckily, she received help from Mr. Abbott, the newspaper editor, and another African-American entrepreneur, and her trip was fully funded between the two. She departed from New York on November 20th, 1920. When she arrived in Paris, she was the only person of color in her class. Did that stop her? You bet it didn't. She learned to fly a 27-foot biplane. Now, biplanes were the first type of aircraft ever built with two sets of wings stacked on top of each other. Bessie's biplane was known to stop functioning in midair. She witnessed a fellow student die in a plane crash during her training. That vision alone may have stopped the average person, but as you guessed it, Bessie was not average. She was determined. She said the incident was a terrible shock. And in June of 1921, against all the odds stacked up against her, she was awarded her international pilot's license. Now, international means that now she could take her license and be able to fly that plane anywhere internationally. So she could come to the United States and use that pilot's license in America. Now, I'm going to read this part from her website as well because I think it's just important. During this time, another race war was raging in the United States. The Tulsa race riots had also taken place on June 1st, 1921, just days after she had earned her pilot's license. It was the first time in history that airplanes were used to attack American communities, and this community was black. Marcus Garvey is known for organizing the first black nationalist movement and encouraging African Americans to become involved in aviation and to secure as many airplanes as possible in anticipation of a catastrophic race war. And most black newspapers promoted aviation in an effort to eliminate stereotypes about African Americans being less intelligent, incompetent, and lazy. Bessie Coleman was doing what Marcus Garvey was talking about in his statement. That's the end of the quote from her website. Just to give you a little bit of an idea of what was happening during the time Mrs. Coleman was trying to get her pilot's license, the Tulsa race riots were very detrimental to the African-American community. Four months later, Bessie returned to America and was met with glee by several news reporters. One newspaper report from the Air Service News praised her for becoming a full-fledged aviatrix, the first of her race. And as a guest of honor at the all-black musical Shuffle Along, Bessie was given a standing ovation for her accomplishments as the first African-American woman to get her pilot's license. She was truly making history. Coleman continued her flying endeavors at air shows throughout the country. Now, according to many reports, Thousands of people from all social classes, including whites, dignitaries, people who were of high importance, they all attended her events. She used her newfound fame to encourage other African Americans to fly as she has done. When I say fly, I mean that word figuratively. 
She wanted African Americans to soar to new heights, meaning to do things that her race had been so oppressed from doing from so long. She wanted African Americans to be able to reach the same dreams, whatever they may be, as anyone else. Bessie was also adamant not to perform at any shows where African Americans were not wanted. She played a small yet important role in reducing discrimination, even if it was just for one show. She knew she had some influence and power to make a change. Now, was her discrimination era over? No. Bessie was still encountering resistance as she applied for pilot jobs across the United States. Once again, she took her training across to the Atlantic Ocean and studied with the famous World War II German ace pilot, Captain Keller, and tested piloted planes in the Netherlands for Anthony Falker, who also was known as the Flying Dutchman. Anthony designed one of the most popular fighter planes of World War II. These men trusted Bessie's flying skills. She perfected life-saving maneuvers in flight. She learned to perform perfectly polished aerobatic stunts, including figure eights, loop-the-loops, trick climbs, and landing the airplane with the engine off. In Germany, she was praised for flying the largest and most awkward aircraft ever flown by a woman. Now, Bessie was also almost a movie star. Notice I said almost. She was approached to work as an actress on the film Shadow and Sunshine, which was produced by an African-American-owned film company. She disagreed with the script's portrayal of African-American women, which would have been wearing tattered clothing and using a walking stick. To Bessie, that symbolized a step backwards for her race and gender, and she declined to be in that movie. So she moved forward to bigger and better things. In February of 1923, Bessie purchased a surplus military Jenny. It is a popular American small engine airplane. However, it didn't last long. Before an audience of 10,000 people, moments after takeoff, her motor stalled at 300 feet and her plane nosedived and fell into the ground. She survived with several broken ribs and a broken leg and multiple lacerations or cuts. That still didn't deter her from continuing on. It took her a few months to recover and she was back in the skies again. On August 11, 1925, Bessie flew over the governor's mansion in Austin, Texas. She was well received by the first female governor of Texas, Miriam Ma, known as Ma, Ferguson. Mrs. Ferguson openly advocated for tenant farmers. Tenant farmers were typically former slaves who usually paid landowners rent for farmland and a house. They owned the crops they planted and made their own decisions about them. Bessie's last flight was on April 30th, 1926. While preparing for a show the next day, Bessie and fellow Texan William Willis took flight. An unexpected wrench was dismantled and got caught in the plane's control gears. Bessie lost control and the plane plummeted 3,500 feet to the ground. Bessie wasn't wearing a seatbelt and fell to her death. More than 10,000 mourners attended her funeral in Chicago, many of whom were prominent African Americans. 
Ida B. Wells, who was an advocate for equality and justice, spoke at her funeral. The Dallas Express newspaper, one of the oldest black-owned newspapers in history, noted that people were not completely aware of how great of a loss this was, saying, quote, There is reason to believe that the general public did not completely sense the size of her contribution to the achievements of the race as such, end quote. There have been so many accomplishments that future women of color would make. Bessie was a vibrant hero to her race, showing with tenacity and grit, you can overcome anything. And I think that's something we can all take to heart, my friends. Bessie Coleman became known as Queen Bessie Coleman. She inspired many others to move in her footsteps. For many years, black pilots have done flyovers above her gravesite to honor her tributes to her race. In 1977, a group of African-American women pilots established the Bessie Coleman Aviators Club. And in 1992, the U.S. Postal Service issued a Bessie Coleman stamp for inspiring others to encourage her determination and perseverance. Over the years, she has been included in dozens of accolades. Today, we learned about a true African-American hero. Bessie Coleman might not have fought in an actual war, but she fought tirelessly to overcome barriers and challenges that many might have given up on. She faced racial and gender biases along her way of becoming the first African-American woman aviator. So for this week's question, I want to know, what is it that you want to be when you grow up? And if you're already grown up, are you doing what you want to do? Is there something else that you want to be doing? Send an email with your answer and I might feature it in an upcoming episode, michellegallegos.author at gmail.com. And remember, yesterday is today's history.